Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the 10K Media Podcast. Today I have with me Rez Khan, who is the Chief Product Officer and co-founder of a relatively new startup called Pace. Right at the heart of it, what is the problem that that Pace app is trying to solve? A lot of enterprise software companies um, realize that the best way to get users very quickly is through a motion which is called product-led growth. Uh, and I'm sure like you know, most of your listeners know what that is, uh, but the general idea is product-led growth um, provides a user experience, which is uh, very simple, uh, potentially always free, and enables like the end user of a product to quickly try it out, uh, understand what the product does, and then if they like it, start uh, paying for it with a credit card. Um, Executing product-led growth successfully means you're able to get a large number of customers and monetize a percentage of them without ever involving a sales team. And that leads to just incredibly good economics for a company which can pull it off. Um, what happens after that is companies generally realize that they are, um, the amount of money they're able to make from each individual customer is capped. Um, and this is typically uh, known as the Slack problem, like because Slack, who had a very classic product-led growth motion, faced that at some point in the last five years, where they were capping off like you know, how much money they make per customer. And at that particular point, you need to think about how you can put traditional sales on top of product-led growth, because uh, the human-to-human -human relationship that traditional sales brings is able to identify other means of monetization within a customer, like you know, find other teams who can use the product, get a customer to buy enterprise licenses or more higher value features, et cetera. Um, and every SaaS company who does PLG realizes you need to do that. The problem is doing that is extremely difficult because you obviously cannot hire an army of salespeople to talk to every customer, other, you know, because that would just minimize the value proposition of even doing PLG in the first place. And you need to be like, you know, clever about which customer is engaged from a sales perspective. Um, Pace is a product which helps you do that. Like, you know, we figure out who your best customers are, who the customers are who are at highest risk. So we can appropriately match those customers with revenue facing teams. Um, so you can monetize the customers that are worth or worthy of monetizing, but you can also do it in a cost-effective fashion. More and more, the traditional enterprise top-down license model is less appealing to folks. Um, and people want more usage-based pricing. They want more bottom-up. They want more try before you buy, right? And these are conversations that have been happening for a long time. They're, they're not too new, although I think they're, they're hitting some sort of boiling point here. I mean, would you agree with that? And if so, why now? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so not, uh, none of these concepts are like you know, particularly new. Like you know, the, um, what the, the story I mentioned about Slack that happened you know, more than five years ago, or probably five years ago. So uh, enterprises um, were, were aware of this. Um, I think the reason why it's happening more now are probably twofold. Um, one is um, um, there, there has been a lot of successful, very successful companies, very successful public companies in the last you know, couple of years or last three years, which uh, became successful primarily through the product-led growth motion. Um, so an example of a few of those companies would be 
uh, you know, MongoDB, where uh, me and my co-founder spent a significant amount of time, like, you know, building their product-led growth and, uh, and, and sales motions. Uh, other companies uh, like that are Datadog or Zoom, for example. Um, and when these companies, you know, went public and uh, people from the, for the first time uh, got a look at their numbers and the economics of their go-to-market motion, they realized that this growth is very efficient. Uh, and very attractive, so there. So that so that you know led to like a lot of both um, investor interest, um, and also you know interest from uh, entrepreneurs and founders who are running these companies. That hey, you know we should start thinking about this PLG thing and adopting it. Um, I think like that's when it sort of like you know went mainstream. Like everyone started talking about it and realizing like you know how useful it can be. Um, yeah. And you know whenever something goes mainstream, like you know there is a. a there's always like a learning curve um, and uh, uh, people soon realize that no, it's not as binary as just having a free product. There's a lot of like nuance there. Uh, and, you know, those conversations started happening from there. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I used to work at Datadog. And so I know pretty intimately that, you know, it, it reminds me of the bottom up versus top down conversation, this PLG mm-hmm. versus sales led, like it's a myth that it has to be either or to a certain yeah. extent fundamentally they still had a whole you know office in boston with sales folks Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a little bit how the sausage is made and obviously having a good product and that's what you want to put out front and you want to have that appeal especially to developers and we'll get into exactly who pace app is is built for in a second but but my universe is is mostly you know developers and devops kind of folks um that they want to try it and they want to use the product and they really want to avoid sales when they can, when they can. But on the flip side, there are still big either enterprise deals that are there that just aren't, they just still consume and buy software differently. Or like you said, there's a trajectory where at some point product led takes you to a certain place. Um, but at some point you still do just need more traditional sales yeah. that, that human intervention. And so I mean, how, how do you see the balance between the two? Is it not an either or? Is, is that what Pace is basically trying to do is bridge the gap between the two and enable organizations to essentially get the best of, of both of those worlds? Yeah, I, I would say in the majority of cases, uh, it's definitely blended. It's, it's, you know, it's not either or, like you said. Um, you know, there are some very specific examples where product-led growth should be the only go-to-market motion. And there are some examples where it should be, you know, top-down and we can like, you know, dig into, dig into like the nuances there. Um, but in the cases where it's blended, like it's interesting to like, you know, ask yourself, ask ourselves, like, you know, why is it blended? Um, and there could be many reasons, but I think like one of the biggest reason is um, uh, who the buyer is for the product changes based on how much you adopt a particular product. So um, I'm going to use MongoDB as an example because um, I'm intimately familiar with like their go-to-market motion. Um, um, when you first adopt MongoDB, the buyer of the product tends to be the user. So this would be the developer. So you want to have a product-led growth, product-led growth motion because you want the developer to try it out quickly, try it out for free. And if they like it, just you know, pay with a credit card and start using it for their application. But at some point, like you know, when the uh, when a, when the volume of usage is sufficiently high, 
obviously the developer cannot just pay with a credit card. Uh, you know, if they work for a decent enough sized corporate uh, company, like, you know, there are rules in place on how much money you could put on a credit card. So that's like number one. And number two, like, you know, once you become large enough, then other considerations become more important regarding the continuous usage of that product. So uh, security becomes important, you know, uh, uh, insurance and liability, like, you know, becomes more important. Um, uh, there are other enterprise features like single sign-ons, like you know, those things become more important. Um, at that point, the buyer is not the individual user, the buyer becomes procurement or someone in charge of security, for example. Uh, and those relationships are more traditional and it takes you know, human to human interaction to deal with it properly. And that's where like you know, sales comes in and uh, sales is significantly more effective than just having a, having a product-led uh, experience there. What, what would you say to a company like that, let's say that has traditional sales motions in place, and maybe even more than that, a product itself that, like you said, needs, it's got all these security concerns and, and whatever, but they, they do want to have a bottoms up funnel, let's say. Um, do you have some advice for, for someone who's looking to, to get PLG off the ground? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are three broad things uh, a company needs to ask themselves when they're evaluating whether PLG is the right motion for them. Um, I think the first one is, um, how, um, how big do you expect the market to be in terms of um, units of individual customer? So for example, um, a database product, um, a mass market database product like MongoDB or uh, you know, um, Amazon Aurora, for example. Well, we should, we should uh, sorry to interrupt, but we should clarify that that's where you worked before PaySAP, correct? The, on the MongoDB Atlas product? Yeah, exactly. So I spent a lot of time working uh, at MongoDB building Atlas uh, and you know, the subsequent go-to-market motions there, et cetera. Yeah, so uh, a mass market database product uh, has a lot of, a uh, huge number of like individual customers, um, but a product which is, let's say aimed at, government contractors or, 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 or the government has a very small number of like an individual customers, but each customer could have a very large ticket size or large like, you know, um, potential um, uh, ARR. So um, if the market is a small number of customers willing to spend a large amount of money, then a traditional sales-led growth motion is probably, is almost actually always better than doing a product-led growth motion. So that's like, you know, lens number one. Um, lens number two is, um, what does it take for you to get to the aha moment of using your product? And the aha moment is, you know, a product management term. It basically means how quickly does a user understand what the product does and get, gets value from the product. Um, there's a class of products where it's very simple to get to the aha moment. Um, Zoom, you know, you just do, a, do your first video conferencing, you get it. Slack, you send a message to two or three of your colleagues in Slack, you get it. But then there are some things which are very hard to get to the aha moment quickly. Um, you know, the, uh, um, the place where you worked, uh, Gremlin, is a product like that where it takes a significant like, you know, setup uh, to understand what the product does and get to the aha moment. So traditional sales-led growth motion um, makes, a, uh, makes a ton of sense. Um, Let me ask you a quick question about this yeah. second point real quick. So mm -hmm. totally get what you're saying. And the client I was referencing before, that aha moment is part of it also. Is it just, you know, it's heavy and it just takes a little while. It's not like you you install and see that immediate value. Do you think most, at least let's say if we're staying in the world of like SaaS and cloud, do you, do you think most companies should try to create at least a version of their product that's quick to value? Or, or are you saying that um, 
you're not recommending companies do that because there are some products that maybe just aren't built to, to have that quick value? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, that was going to be my third point, which is um, uh, the, the common misconception with product-led growth is um, it's, it's, uh, it's binary, as in your entire product needs to be product-led growth or not. Um, there are ways to get benefits from product-led growth without having your entire product be product-led growth. So um, for example, you could have either versions of your product or a couple of features which can get you to the aha moment faster. A really good example of this is um, um, there's Amplitude. Um, Amplitude is a product analytics tool. Uh, the setup of Amplitude is fairly involved. You need to install their SDK, convince engineering to like, you know, uh, uh, use it to send data, et cetera. But what Amplitude did is they basically made a sandbox environment with pre-populated data that um, had a very limited feature set, but allowed a user, like a product manager, who's the end user of the product, quickly understand what it was about. So that was a pseudo product-led growth motion, which got people to the aha moment, made them understand the value of the product. And now if they want to install it in their own organization, like, you know, they have all the reasons that they've noticed firsthand to be able to like talk to engineering and get them to adopt their SDK. Um, HubSpot did a very similar thing as well in the early days where they had a lot of these micro features, like they would have calculators to calculate like in the sales compensation, et cetera. Uh, they would have Chrome extensions. Um, and well, these are not the full product, but they portrayed the value of a CRM in a limited capacity to end users so they can convince the people they need to convince in their organization to adopt HubSpot. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So for Pace, is the ideal use case, at least what I got the impression, is that it's it's a, for teams that have an existing sales motion and want to start getting into PLG. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, if you're just starting a startup from scratch, let's say, and you want to start with PLG, um, does Pace still have a, a, a spot where there's no existing sales team? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, like we don't completely know the answer yet, um, but the early signs we're seeing is uh, it, makes, it makes way more sense for companies with a, um, existing PLG product in market that has some semblance of product market fit and they have hired their first couple of like in the sales reps or a sales leader. Um, uh, it's a, 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 it's a shoe in for our product to like, you know, come in and help, help there because the number of reps are limited. They have way more customers than they can manage by themselves. So some automation helps. Um, but saying that, like, you know, we're also seeing some early traction amongst much more smaller customers where the, the, uh, there's no sales team per se, but the sales team is just the founders because um, they're doing all the selling. So even in those stages, once you reach like a critical juncture of paying customers using your product, you still need to monitor them pretty closely and interact with them when things are not going well. And the founders typically do that. Yeah. And we have a couple of like, you know, um, uh, uh, we're seeing like a couple of like use cases where that's happening. Um, and they're using our product for that particular purpose. 
so it's too early for us to like say, you know, where the majority of like, you know, growth and monetization for PACE lies, but you know, we're seeing uh, use cases across both those areas, but albeit like a bit different compared to, uh, you know, larger companies with an existing like in you know, a sales team. So if you're a large company with, with an existing sales team and sales motion, that's not quite where you're piercing yet, because I can imagine there are big companies with traditional sales motions who acknowledge, hey, we need to get better at this PLG thing. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's, a, um, uh, there's a class of customers who, are, who already have an existing uh, sales team do sales-led growth, and they're beginning to like, you know, uh, get into PLG. Um, a lot of them are like talking to us um, because uh, they're trying to figure out, we have all these expensive resources, what is the best way to deploy them? Um, and there are, uh, there are ways to deploy them even for an earlier stage PLG product. And then there are companies who are traditional PLG companies and they're beginning to like you know, hire a sales team where the use cases, uh, use cases are a little bit different. So for the latter, the use case is more about um, how do I find the diamond in the rough to spend more time on? And for the former, the use case is more around I've got all these PLG customers who are using an immature PLG product. How do I help them understand the value of the product and learn from them about what I need to do to like make the PLG motion better? So the sales teams in those, in those scenarios almost act like pseudo mini product managers, basically helping people along, getting feedback, passing the feedback to the product team so they can improve their PLG motion. So um, it's interesting, like it's the same product, but used for like these different use cases. Yeah, that makes sense, though. I, I think so. I'm trying to imagine exactly who the buyer user is. I mean, I can see in yeah, the, yeah. the um, founder led. I mean, I, I have founders, um, both in my client base and friends who are doing, you know, you know, wear multiple hats, right, as a founder of an early stage startup and having a, a product help you on the fly is definitely useful. But that's a that's a pretty, you know, particular circumstance more more generally, it seems like you know, this is a tool for, for sales folks. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I read your introductory blog post from you and your co-founder where it referenced that scene in, in minority reports where he can <laughs> pull up data at any moment he needs to like stop crime. And it seems like that's sort of what you want to enable sales folks to do on the fly. My, in order to, you know, deal with retention or, or, you know, if, if, they need data for a certain thing. But my question is, um, is there any reluctance on the sales side, right? Because I imagine they could think of PLG as sort of encroaching on their territory also, right? Um, so do you have a mix of people who want to be on the cutting edge, who understand PLG, even though they're sales folks and want to embrace it and want to be better? And then are there more traditional folks who say, I don't, I don't really like this because it feels like it's coming on my turf a little bit. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, definitely. Um, it's, uh, uh, we, we see this more in um, the, the larger, more traditional enterprise SaaS companies who are transitioning to PLG and in the earlier stages, like where they're trying to figure out, they have these large sales teams, like what do they do with them? Uh, how do they make them more, how do they make them productive in a PLG context, et cetera. Um, uh, there are various flavors of pushback we see. Uh, one of them is um, uh, a lot of people are uh, still very unsure about the appropriate compensation model for sales in the world of PLG. 
Um, and it's like a very difficult unsolved problem to this day. And the nature of the problem is um, in the world of PLG or self-service, customers are using the product by themselves and are probably like, you know, growing organically. Like, you know, they will be growing like, you know, 10% or 20% year over year anyway. And if you add a salesperson to that particular account and the account keeps on growing, is it because the salesperson helped grow the account or is it because the account was like organically growing? And if the salesperson did not help the account grow, like, you know, why even pay that particular person any compensation uh, whatsoever? So there's just like a lot of open questions about what is the appropriate compensation model? How do we even measure like, you know, the impact of sales uh, on your uh, self-service customers? Um, and a lot of people are understandably like, you know, afraid of that because um, they don't really know and it's not a solved problem yet. So we see a lot of, we see that, we see that quite a lot. Um, the other like pushback I see is, you know, um, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of sales folks um, um, uh, stress a lot on relationships and how important relationships are to closing a deal, uh, and uh, uh, the the notion of just like looking at data and using data to like you know, make decisions sometimes like you know feels impersonal to them, um, which I totally empathize with. Um, and you know, in those scenarios, like and one of the things we talk to sales leaders about is. Um, PLG is not a replacement for your personal relationship with your customers. Uh, PLG, uh, in a way, enables you to have better personal relationships because now you have more data to be able to um, uh, contextualize, like, you know, what you talk about and make it more real for them. Yeah. Uh, and part of the challenge of, like, you know, what we are trying to build at Pace is it's not just about shoving data in front of, uh, front of sales reps. It's about how do we, like, actually tell a good story with the data? which they can then use to tell the story for their customers and build better relationships with them. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot you said there that's super interesting to me. It, 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 it's funny how some issues and some pushback um, span across different um, spaces here because we mentioned Gremlin earlier and, and they, I, I can't remember, maybe it was by uh, Gene Kim. Um, someone wrote about, uh, about you know, just selling software and what makes people want to buy it. And a big part of it is the hero moment. And I remember this was a problem a little bit at, at Gremlin where mm. you know, if the website goes down and then the SRE is on call and he wakes up and he fixes it. You get a hero moment, right? Yay, mm. you know, you, it's a person X fixed the problem. But if you're just proactive and you're doing your chaos engineering and you're <laughs> you know, testing your systems ahead of time and the website never goes down, how do you measure that? How do you say, well, if we didn't do this, it would have been worse. It's harder to prove. There's no real hero moment when you're being more proactive. And it seems like you're saying the same thing here with sales where, you know, in a traditional sales motion, there's literally the bell, right? That you ring when you're the one who calls and closes the deal. Right. And, it's like, and you're taking away that bell a little bit, right? Because the product is, is doing that for itself. Um, it, it seems like also you're sort of getting into the customer success arena a little bit. And I wonder how the customer success folks um, measure themselves. And I don't know if you have insights here. I'm, I'm friends with uh, Ed, who's the uh, founder of Catalyst, which is a pretty popular customer success tool. But hmm. customer sex kind of comes in 
after the sale is made, but you want to maintain the relationship, right? And how do you measure if you're effectively maintaining the relationship and how do you reward it and compensate for it? I imagine uh, growing the account is one way, but like you said, in a PLG environment, how do you differentiate between the product being credited for that growth or the person who may be in charge of managing the relationship? Do, do you just think this is an unsolved problem or are, are there ways to, to think about it that I'm not thinking about? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question. Um, uh, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the early trends, you know, we see are um, uh, people questioning what is the difference between customer success and sales um, in, in, uh, in the PLG world? Um, because, you know, there, there, there is a lot of similarities, like, you know, you, the, the sales team is coming in to try to like grow an account. In some cases, the sales team is coming in to help uh, save an account, like, you know, because they're working like on the retention angle, which traditionally has been uh, customer successes, um, customer successes realm. Um, the early like differentiation that I've seen in real life about this um, and again, like this is also a problem, not a problem. This is also something we saw at Mongo where we had a large customer success team, but also a sales team is customer success um, uh, generally focused on the non-commercial aspects of the account management, which is um, I want to, I'll connect you with the right technical resources. I want to make sure you're using the product properly. I want to make sure like you're given the training, et cetera, where sales focuses on um, is this commercial arrangement between you and me, the right one, or can we like, you know, figure out um, a volume discount here if you use like, you know, more of the product. Um, and CSMs are typically like incident from that because they, uh, the, the thinking goes is they, they want them to be like non-commercial so they can focus on just uh, relationship management while sales could be appropriately like in you know, a commercial. Um, so that's like, you know, one distinction that uh, I've seen personally uh, at Mongo and other, other companies. Yeah, that's the other. A, sorry, go on. No, no, yeah, sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, I, I think you're right. There, there, that is a distinction that's made. I think even more base level, a lot of the times it's sales brings them in the door and then sort of passes them along, right? A little bit and then the relationship is maintained by um, a customer success manager, unless something's really wrong. And then maybe the original sales rep, especially if they have a relationship, comes back into the fold. But I, I remember um, during the pandemic, right after McKinsey came out with a report about customer success, and it made the point that reducing churn is the same thing as, as new revenue, basically, and how important it was. And, and companies that reduce churn we're more likely to, to make it through the pandemic and all of these all of these things. So the rise of customer success as an idea that it's not just about bringing people in the door, it's also about making sure they're happy and they wanna stay. Um, I think that totally makes sense, but I wonder, I was talking to Aaron Woods who, who runs customer success over at LaunchDarkly. And I think you're right too, that all of these lines aren't so clean, right? And there's overlap between what the sales is doing and what customer success is doing. And I wonder if eventually the roles will sort of, um, I don't know, merge even a little bit more, sort of like with DevOps, kind of like the you build it, you own it kind of culture. Like if you brought the account in and it's high priority, you're also responsible for maintaining that account. Do, do you see that as a potential future or? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we uh, um, uh, listen. Like the whole industry is like you know very early, and uh, especially from a tooling side, and uh, a bunch of people are approaching this from uh, you know different angles. Um, like Catalyst's approach is uh, uh, customer success would become more and more important. Uh, our approach is uh, the seller would be more and more important, and maybe even merge into some customer success type like you know functionalities over time. Um, the I think the thing is, the, are you making the distinctions uh, just to get into the weeds of mm -hmm. where pace really adds the value? Are you making the distinction of where, when you say it's more seller led, at least at the moment, than customer success? Is that because you're really being leveraged at that initial touch mm -hmm. point versus over an ongoing basis? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, so we're being leveraged uh, on both those scenarios. Like we're being leveraged at the initial touch point. We're also being leveraged in some cases for ongoing, um, uh, ongoing uh, uh, work. Um, I think the difference lies in the workflows. So uh, a traditional customer success manager's core workflow is there's a bunch of steps that they need to like, you know, make their customers go through like onboard train xyz uh train on xyz topics etc and tools like catalyst are really good at powering those type of workflows now those are not the typical like in you know, a sales workflows the typical sales workflows are um am i being given a right lead why is why is this why am i given this particular lead um who should i contact in this particular lead and uh, what should I say to them? Uh, and if they don't respond to my email, like, you know, what should the subsequent like, you know, emails be to them? So that's a very different workflow compared to what a customer success manager would do, which is you would um, have a, basically a checklist of like, you know, things you want to do with a customer and your job is to project manage that checklist and tools like you know, Catalyst like, it makes it very simple and easy to like, you know, do that. So, um, so we're approaching like, you know, different workflows, if that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, it does. And I imagine in the future, there may be all sorts of integrations and, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, all right, so let, let's get really into the weeds. So let's say, you know, I'm a salesperson and I want to be more familiar with product-led growth. And I, if the product itself is helping me sell, maybe I even look at that as upside for me, right? So like mm -hmm. you said, there are people who can think that way. And those, those are probably going to be you know, the better sales folks in the new, in the sense that PLG seems to be a growing and inevitable uh, thing. Um, what, what, what does Pace actually help me do on the fly that I couldn't do or would have a hard time doing without it? Yeah, so um, uh, we, we like to say like, you know, there are different types of sales motions that uh, can apply uh, for a sales team in a company. Um, uh, these sales motions could be converting someone from free to paid. It could be getting someone from one paid tier to another paid tier, or it could be like, you know, getting a paid, uh, getting a pay as you go customer uh, to become an enterprise, like in you know, a contract, uh, contracted customer. Um, let's look at a specific, uh, 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 specific like in you know, a motion, just as an example, let's look at the free to paid motion where you're trying to convert your free customers into paid customers. Now, what happens in um, uh, what happens without a tool like Pace is, um, let's say you're you're getting a hundred signups per day, uh, so that would be you know almost three thousand, more than three thousand signups uh, per month. 
Um, that's a lot of customers. If you have a sales team of like in you know, two or three people. So the question is like, you know, which of those signups are actually worthy of engagement? Um, now, in some cases, those signups could be um, using the product appropriately. They're like, you know, moving through the motions. They're getting to the aha moment uh, on their own. You don't really want to engage with them because it's sort of a waste of your time because they will be fine by themselves. But then there are those who are uh, potentially good customers for you because they fit like in you know, some form of graphic profile, but they're having uh, and they're showing some interest, but they're not exactly like you know moving through the whole journey of using the product as seamlessly as you would want. You want the sales team to be involved in those particular customers and give them a call or send them an email and say like, hey, I want to help. Um, and when you do reach out to them, like, and who do you reach out to them? Like, the, it could be an account with five or six users, and which is the right user to reach out, and why. And when you do reach out to them, like, you know, what do you say? Like, you know, do you say just, "Hey, hello, I'm here to help," or do you say, "Hey, I noticed you using the product in this particular way. I think you have this use case. These are some of the other customers who have this use case." Um, figuring out all those things with the data that the customer is collecting is extremely difficult. It's difficult for product managers, it's even difficult, even more difficult for sales. Um, we make it very easy to do that. So uh, our, um, what we do is, you know, when we notice a customer like that, we would send you a message on Slack. Uh, the Slack message would have a whole bunch of like, you know, context about the account. You can click on the Slack message, go to Pace, and inside Pace, you can see uh, why we flagged that account what are the things we know about them which could be valuable? Who are the key users? How much are they using the product? Who should you interact with? Uh, their email addresses, et cetera. And what should you say to them? So we make it very easy for a seller to like you know, quickly see all those information and take action as fast as possible without like you know, combing through data sitting across multiple silos. Yeah, that's really interesting. So is that sort of recommendation motion based on expertise that you guys mm. are making? into the product and it's it's already there or is it more custom in the sense of like it there's opportunity for pace to learn about the specific customer that it's dealing with and and build recommendations on top of it like for example let's say jimmy the sales guy noticed something and uh realizes the certain action he took was beneficial could Jimmy then bake that knowledge into Pace so that other sales folks could benefit from it? Or is it all coming from Pace itself? No, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, so some of it is coming from Pace. Some of it is based on um, either our expertise um, for certain like you know, verticals of businesses. For example, uh, me and my partner, we worked a lot in DevTools. We know DevTools go to market very, very well. So uh, there are some recommendations which are very DevTools specific. Um, and in some cases, um, we are, what we're seeing is there are sellers, like you mentioned, like Jimmy, for example, who tried a bunch of things out and has found success. Uh, Jimmy is able to use Pace to create playbooks around some of his findings. So for example, like, you know, Jimmy can go and say, I have noticed that when a customer signs up with a corporate email account and adds five other users in the first seven days. And if I talk, if I send them an email saying, um, hey, if, you know, if you can get 10 users, you get like you know, this discount, that motion works really well. So um, 
our product allows someone like Jimmy to quickly create these playbooks so such that like whenever it happens to an account, like he gets a ping. And if he likes that playbook enough, he could save it and share it with like other people in the sales team so they could adopt it. Um, so there's a, so there's this like nice uh, viral loop in the product where good ideas can be shared between like across multiple teams and, and adopted. And you, you know, you mentioned the hero moment, like, and I think I see that as like one of the hero moments of, uh, of pace where sales reps could feel like a hero for discovering something interesting and unique about their customers. I love this. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because it feels that you can tell that you're experienced in dev tools, right? Even the run books language and things like that. And, and I imagine it might be a culture shift for some sales folks, right. Who like to, they're a little more about feel and, you know, it's in, it's in their head and they've been doing it a long time, but um, to actually codify it in this way um, and document it is, is super interesting. Um, you know, I know sometimes sales folks can be a little protective, right? Because their commissions are based on whatever. So there can even be competition amongst sales folks, but the idea of like sharing knowledge across, I mean, that seems like sales 2.0 almost, but even just to, codify your own playbooks and then to get alerts <laughs> when those situations happen. I mean, that's, that's very interesting stuff. Yeah, no, it's really cool. I mean, um, uh, I, I remember like, you know, uh, seven or eight years back, I used to work for a very traditional enterprise sales company and there was a lot of competition between sales, like, and it's a doggy dog world, but uh, uh, working for, you know, more modern companies like MongoDB, I'm definitely seeing this shift happening where, yeah, the comp compensation is obviously a big factor, but it's also um, uh, how can I be more collaborative? How can I like you know, share my knowledge? And uh, those are like leading to promotions and being recognized by like leadership. So it's all you know, it's all really good stuff that's happening in the world of sales. Yeah, I think I think uh, you're right, and I, I, it's all about incentives, right? It's a lot about top down. Also, what what kind of yeah. culture leadership want to present? Because you could imagine, right, if pace is being effective. And you have a, a you know a sales rep that is making runbooks that are effective that other people are using. I mean that's easy to see and demonstrate, and you could totally compensate based on that, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very cool. Well, uh, is there anything about the product or the conversation we didn't touch on that that you want folks to know about? Um, no, I mean, you, uh, you asked a lot of great questions. Uh, I guess the only, uh, uh, only thing that, uh, uh, folks should know about is, um, you know, we're accepting like, you know, customers for our beta, um, you know, we have a fairly like long wait list, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we're excited to like, you know, work with other, um, uh, developer tooling companies. Um, so if any of your list, if, if anyone is like interested in uh, learning from us about PLG and the hybrid go-to-market motion or giving our product a test run, like, and obviously happy to uh, entertain that. That's great. So where, where can people find you? What's uh, the URL? Uh, yeah. So our website is uh, Pace app. So P-A-C-E-A-P-P.com. Um, and you can, you can go and sign up for the beta there. Very good. All right. Well, Rez, thank you so much. You heard it. Paceapp.com. Go check it out if you're interested in PLG, interested in how sales can weaponize PLG more effectively. Uh, I think these are really interesting conversations and, and the tide is going where it's going. It seems pretty obvious. So um, check it out. And until next time.